a few months ago, you probably wouldn't have thought twice about uh, going online and uh, picking your next tropical destination to escape from a Tasmanian winter uh, and uh, got, get some good deals on Virgin Australia uh, and book all your nice uh, July winter uh, getaway to Fiji or something. And that would have been a perfectly uh, reasonable thing to do. But of course, now, not only is interstate uh, questionable, international travel seems like it's uh, off the radar for the foreseeable future, but of course, not only that, but uh, the, the, the second biggest airline in the, in the country likewise has completely gone broke and into administration. If you'd asked anyone back in uh, December or uh, January even, uh, to predict the future of travel and leisure, I doubt anyone would have included a scenario that involved the world shutting down and airlines like Virgin going broke. Uh, predicting the future, of course, is a notoriously difficult task. But that's the task that uh, I've set for us today as we think about the future of the church to round out this series that we've been doing on the church. If this is the first time you've joined us or uh, for the sake of those who might have missed a week, uh, you can go onto our website, lindasign.church/media, uh, and watch all the previous talks. Um, but I'm going to give you a recap now anyway. The word church comes from a Greek word, ecclesia, meaning to gather. And of course, what that tells us is that the church is not uh, 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 about uh, the priests, it's not uh, the building, it's the people of God, the gathered people of God, a people who belong to God, a people who gather because of a unifying story, the story of the gospel, uh, and a people who are set apart by that story, whose, whose lives are changed by that story, called to live holy lives as the gathered people of God. And the church is made up of all people, past, present and future, who've called on the name of Jesus for their salvation. That was week two when we started looking about who the church is. Uh, and when we look around and, and we see the church, we see a church that uh, is uh, uh, what we call the visible church and that is a church that is flawed uh, and is still affected by sin. But, but the, the church, universal, uh, or what uh, scholars sometimes call the invisible church, that is all the true uh, believers in the Lord Jesus from all time, uh, who uh, will be revealed finally uh, when Jesus returns. Uh, and we've seen the purposes of the church too, to glorify God, to worship God, to grow people or edification and to tell others about Jesus, evangelisation. So, that's where we've been, looking at what the church is, the gathered people of God, who the church is, uh, all uh, the saints, past, present and future, uh, and the purpose of the church, to glorify worship, uh, glorify and worship God, grow people and tell others about Jesus. What is the future of the church? Well, if we have a look at the historical trends, things in Australia look a little bit bleak if we take an experience-based future. Uh, the proportion of Australians identifying Christianity as their religion 
uh, and therefore uh, interested in church, has declined in the last century from 96% of Australians in 1911 to 61.1% in 2011. A 35% decline in 100 years, which sounds pretty bad, but then over the next decade... Christianity in Australia declined from, uh, sorry, uh, in the last decade, sorry, of that 100-year span, uh, Christianity in Australia declined from 68% to 61.1, almost 7%. Uh, so, if, 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 if the, the church kept declining at the rate it has in the last 10 or so years, uh, it, that would have meant a 70% decline over 100 years. Uh, we are declining faster and faster and faster as a church in Australia. And so the future looks bleak, doesn't it? How about this though? I find these statistics even more bleak. Uh, When people are asked why they uh, don't go to church, 47% of people say that it is because they think church is irrelevant to their way of life. It's irrelevant Uh, Like, the church is not even uh, on their radar. 26% think uh, it's because we teach things they don't agree with. Uh, 24% think because our style's outdated. 22% think it's because of uh, something, issues with... uh, Issues with ministers. Uh, See, I can't read that one because I don't believe it. Uh, And uh, 19% because I don't believe the believe the Bible and 18% because they're too busy. There's lots of reasons why people don't go to church. But it is stunning, isn't it, that potentially every second person you meet just thinks that your whole, the whole church thing is just completely irrelevant to them. But of course, this story of decline and irrelevance is an Australian story. It's a Western story. Because if we cast our, little, uh, our eyes a little wider uh, when we're thinking of, in terms of exp- uh, what our experience tells us, uh, it tells us that the church is growing massively. So, Africa, from the uh, start of uh, the 20th century, 1900, to the, the mid-1970s, the church there went from 9% of the total population and much of that being the uh, colonial masters, it went from 9% of uh, the African population to in the 1970s, and that's a long time ago, that's still 50 years ago and it's grown since then, but these are the best uh, stats that I could find that were verifiable, it had gone to 40%. In the year 2000, there were 350 million Christians in Africa, up from just 8 million in the year 1900. That is massive growth. At the same time, we've gone from 90-odd percent, 99% or whatever it was, to 60. Africa has seen massive growth. India has seen the number of Christians double in a decade. That is phenomenal growth. They're still, and they're still really small. So they've gone from something like 2.5% of the total population of India to 5%. And when you think that the Indian population is a billion people, that is a lot of people coming to know 
the Lord Jesus. And I know of at least one organisation, at least a few years ago, that was planting one church a day in the north of India. That's the, the speed at which the gospel was going out in that place. Or China. In the face of immense persecution there, the church has seen explosive growth. They say that in the 80s there were about 3 million Protestant Christians and now, uh, what, 30 years later, 40 years later, there are, on, there are over 100 million. That is exponential growth. Now, I've seen this kind of thing. It's really hard for us to get our heads around this because we think it's exciting when uh, you might remember the last service before we um, uh, went into isolation. We, we baptised five kids and that was super duper exciting. But the last time I was in Cambodia, I'll show you this picture. These 80 people... Uh, uh, were baptised, myself and Abraham, we baptised these people in the Mekong River up near the border with Laos, people who come to faith and it was such a bizarre experience to just be baptising one after another, after another, after another, after another, after another. Amazing growth of the church. God is growing his church. It can be hard for us to remember that because for whatever reason, we seem to have seen a bit of a decline. So experience is not a great uh, thing for us to go off because our experience can mislead us. If we want to think about the future of the church, we need to do more than a sociological look at uh, trends of believers, if that was what we've just done, an experience-based think uh, and projection about the future of the church, then what we really need to do is to do uh, what I might call an expository-based look at the future. Uh, expository meaning uh, uh, thinking about what the Bible says about it and trying to work it from there. And basically, I wanted experience and expository. I wanted two E's because I'm a, I'm a preacher at heart. But we need a Bible-based look at the future. Because our experience uh, can be misleading and we don't know all the facts. And of course, God gives us his word to direct not only our present lives, but also to help us have our eyes on the future. And so what we see when we look at the Bible is a few things. First of all, when Jesus uh, is, is establishing the church and when he's commissioning Peter uh, to be kind of one of the, the leaders of this church, church movement, the gathered people of God. He tells Peter, Matthew 16 verses 18, that he says, and I tell you, tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Jesus says at the, at the sort of uh, commissioning of, of the apostle Peter to lead the church, hell cannot overcome this, death cannot overcome this, the church will prevail. The church has a bright future. But what is that future? What is that final destination? We heard in our reading today that Ruth read from Revelation about the church being described as a bride. 
Uh, and this is a metaphor that the church uses and that I want to use today for us as we think about the future of the church. The Bible talks about the church as, as a bride kind of headed towards this glorious wedding day. I don't remember, uh, I, I don't know about you, but I remember my wedding day uh, reasonably well. It was a hot Melbourne summer's day uh, back in January 2010 uh, and I can remember kind of who was there, uh, I can remember where it was, I can remember lots about it, I remember it being lots of fun. And I also remember, of course, my glorious bride as she walked down perhaps the longest aisle that there ever has been in a church because it was through two churches and I can talk to you more about that later if you want to know. But nonetheless, it was a, a glorious moment as I was standing at the front of the church uh, and I looked back and I saw my bride come up out of the old church, up onto the old uh, stage and then down into the new church to come up to the front where I was. Well, the Bible talks about the church uh, uh, having this destination uh, as, a, as a glorious bride coming to her husband. And Paul in Ephesians 5 uh, talks about this relationship between Christ and the church. He, he's doing so uh, as he instructs us about how we're to live as husband and wives uh, and I'm, I don't want to talk about that today, that's for another sermon and in fact I think if you type Ephesians on the, on the media page on the website you can find where I've talked about this passage in that context. But for today, I want us to think about what this is saying about the church and its future. Let me read to you from Ephesians 5, verses 23 to 27. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the world and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. Paul says, Christ has demonstrated this remarkable sacrificial love for his bride, the church, who are called to live in submission to his love as they await the consummation of their marriage, which is what our, our reading today is about, which we'll come to in a moment. A and Paul says that for us as the church here and now, but also into the future, we share this deep unity with Christ. Ephesians, uh, he goes on in Ephesians 5 verses 31, 32, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Just as the Bible describes the, 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 the coming together of husband and wife as, as two becoming one, so Paul says, uh, we as the church become one with Christ in our union with him. Deep and intimate relationship. The, the church, the people of God who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, by that faith, are united with Christ in this deep and real way as a husband and wife, uh, wife unite in marriage and we see that come to its fullness at the consummation, which is what Revelation 
21 is all about. Let me read again from the first couple of verses. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, uh, that is the people of God, the church, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away their tears from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. Here, John gets this vision from God of the future, of the future of the people of God, where they will come as the bride into the church on that wedding day. And unlike my bride, who has to put up with my foolishness for the rest of her life, this bride, us, the church, we come in and now God dwells with us. We now live in this perfect relationship where there's no crying or death or, or mourning or pain. God lives among us. And sin has gone by the wayside. And the church here and now stands as a sign and a foretaste of this kind of perpetual wedding day where everything just goes perfectly and there is uh, endless joy and celebration. This is our future. The church will prevail. You and I will spend eternity with Jesus in this perpetual wedding feast. Think about how good your wedding day was if you're someone who's lucky enough to have been married. How joy-filled it was. Now forget about that and imagine something 10, 20, 30, 100-fold better. For that is the experience you and I will have when God makes all things new. And that is where the church is headed. That is the future we will enjoy as God's people. That is what we point others to as they come to faith in Christ. That reality is meant to shape us now. But you'll notice that not everyone makes it to the wedding feast. Verses 6 to 8. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulphur. This is the second death. Who does God invite to inherit this perfect new world, to enjoy this perpetual wedding feast? A thirsty, in verse 6. 
those who have turned from drinking from the wells of idols and unbelief and anger and murder and lust and lies. And those who've humbled themselves and instead had their thirst quenched from the only true thirst quencher. Not solo. Jesus. The water of life. As we round out this series thinking about the church, I guess the real question about the future is, are you part of this church future? Are you truly part of the invisible, eternal, gospel-birthed church? And I guess, really, the only way for you to truly know is to think about whether you have a heart that seeks its satisfaction in the water of life. For it is the thirsty who drink from the water of life who spend eternity with him, who enjoy the perpetual wedding feast that the church here and now looks forward. It is those who turn from those worthless idols to Jesus daily, who enjoy this eternal drink, this life-giving thirst quench, Jesus. So let me encourage you to make sure you are continually drinking from the well that is Jesus, having your heart filled by Jesus. Let him satisfy you and then join with your fellow drinkers, the church, in seeking to do the things God calls us to as we await that day. If you think the purpose of the church here and now is, is, to, is to be ready for the day when God will come and dwell with us. Like the bride prepares for that moment where she shines as she walks down the aisle. So too the church prepares for that future wedding feast by doing the things God has called it to do, called us to do, by joining with each other, drinking from the well that is Jesus, seeking to bring God glory, worshipping Him, growing in our faith and sharing the good news of others. That is what it is to be the church and that is an exciting future that awaits us.